we're glad to have you with us today online and in the room as we consider others why we serve. Last week, we talked about why we pray and the key to effective prayer being personal humility, realizing that there is a God and you're not Him. And then because of your humility, being repentant of your sin, broken before God. And then when we're humble, broken, and repentant before God, then God will hear our prayers and will move for His will. This week, the key we'll find is in humility as well. Next week, we'll talk about why we share the gospel, and two weeks from now, why we give to our church. But today, why we serve The Gospels say of Jesus that He came to serve, not to be served. That's who our Lord is, and if we're supposed to be growing Christ followers, we should be as Christ is. In Galatians 5.13, Paul instructs that we should serve one another in love. One of those one another's of the New Testament, but serve one another in love. Matthew 25.21, Jesus talks about welcoming believers into heaven, and that he would say to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. The Bible is full of service for followers of Jesus. In the celebration of discipline, Richard Foster says that choosing to serve differs from being a servant. Now listen carefully, I've used this before, but you've got to hang on to what Foster says. When we choose to serve, we're still in charge of who and when we serve. But when we choose to be a servant, we give up the right to be in charge. There is great freedom in this. When we choose to be a servant, we become available and vulnerable. A servant requires a master, and a master means that there's humility and vulnerability. And in Christian service, we recall it as Christ we serve, as we serve others, we serve Him. The Bible teaches us that. When we consider this topic of others, our Scripture memory verse for the month reminds us of others, why we give, why we serve, why we share, and why we pray. Let's say that together, 1 Thessalonians 3.12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. Pray with me. God, our Father, we are here and we invite you by your Holy Spirit into this place. We come to worship you for who you are and what you have done. And we come, Father, that you might speak to us so that our character might be shaped into that of Christ Jesus, that we might serve as you would have us serve, that we would be transformed into servants, faithful, true, and humble before you. So God, our Father, we pray as we consider these things this morning that you speak to us by the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. When we read our passage of Scripture today, we find that Jesus is in the midst of what is called the Last Supper, when He is giving instruction to His disciples. It's interesting to note that this exchange of Jesus washing feet is found only in the Gospel of John, not in the synoptics Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
And then in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are the instructions for observing the Lord's Supper, but not in John. Just different ways to report it at different times for different purposes as the writers had it. Not that there's anything wrong with that. So our first question to consider this morning from our passage of Scripture is this, is why was Jesus doing this for his disciples? We're going to read the Scripture as we go today. And so John chapter 13 verse 1 says, It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to his Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He now showed them the full extent of his love. So John sets the scene here. It's before the Passover feast. They were gathered together. Jesus knows that he is going to be crucified and buried And he will rise again. He knows that the disciples don't quite have this yet. But he also knows he's got some vital, crucial information to continue to communicate to them about how they should live and how they should love and how they should serve one another, even when he's not there, especially when he's not there. And so Scripture says that he'll show them the full extent of his love. That phrase, full extent of his love, means that he's going to show them the excellence, the perfection. And what's he going to do to show that? He's going to serve in a menial, humble way. He's going to put them above himself. He's going to do something that no rabbi or teacher in his day and time would do and literally turn truth upside down like Jesus so often does. So verse 2. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. That's another sermon for another day. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knows that God is sovereign. So your second question on your outline today is that. What did Jesus know about sovereignty? Sovereignty means rule or reign, authority and ability. And we speak of God as sovereign over the whole universe, that he rules over the whole universe, he reigns over the whole universe. He has the authority over and even the ability because he's God to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. That God is sovereign is what Jesus knew. And what Jesus knew is that no matter what else was happening, he could trust God. And even though he was to pray, Lord, let this cup pass from me, because what was before him was terrible, and we can't even imagine. He humbled himself before God, trusting in God's sovereignty, knowing that God would carry him through. He had confidence in God. What did Jesus know about sovereignty? That God was sovereign, and because of that, he had faith in God that he could make it through whatever was to follow. Which leads to our third question this morning, and that's what did Jesus do for his disciples? What did Jesus do for his disciples? Well, we're about to find out in verse 4 and 5. It says there, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, because he would have a tunic that covered him kind of from head to toe, like a long pencil dress that started at the top and went all the way down to his ankles. 
But then they had this outer garment, not unlike we wear when we portray this day of resurrection, except they wouldn't have shorts and a t-shirt and other stuff under there. That was what they wore. So he got up, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. Now, they're gathered around a table, and they're eating in an oriental fashion, which means that they would be reclining on their left side, resting on their left elbow and forearm, probably with a pillow to help prop them up, their feet extending out behind them. And this is the way they would eat then with their right hand. I don't know why they didn't sit like us. They're not us. They didn't have chairs. They didn't have pillows. Why didn't they sit cross-legged? Well, they didn't want their feet right in front of the food. Heaven knows their feet were extended away from the table. This is what they did. It was their custom. But the other thing that was their custom was that a slave, the lowest slave in the household, would be the one to wash feet. And if a rabbi or a teacher had followers, it would be the job that fell to the newest follower or the lowest follower or the youngest follower to wash everyone's feet. But for the rabbi himself to get up, take off his robe, put a towel on, and begin to wash feet was absolutely scandalous. What in the world could he be doing? Why would he be doing this? What did Jesus do for his disciples? Well, literally, he washed their feet. But there's more happening here than washing their feet. You think about what Paul says in Philippians 2, that Jesus emptied himself. They took on the very attitude of a slave. He humbled himself. And he became obedient, Paul goes on in Philippians 2, to death, even death on a cross. Now, verses 6 through 11 include the exchange of Simon Peter with Jesus. Simon's like, dude, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, unless I wash them, you don't have any part of me. Simon says, wash my, you know, hands and head, wash everything about me. And Jesus tells him a person needs a, has a bath, needs only to wash his feet. As we come on to verse 12, we come to our fourth question. That fourth question is, what was Jesus teaching his disciples? The literal thing that he was doing was washing their feet, something that a rabbi like him would never do for disciples or followers like his. But what was he teaching them? What was the meaning of it? Well, we get that in verses 12 and following because the Gospels, especially John, he explains things for us. John 13, 12 says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. So now John's reporting the conversation. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Ah. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What was Jesus teaching his disciples? He was giving them an example, not just of washing feet, but the type of character it took to wash feet. The heart that 
followed his desire to wash his disciples' feet. And by verse 15, when he says, I've given you example, he's saying to them, this just wasn't a casual event. I didn't just wash your feet because they were dusty and there wasn't a servant here to do it and I felt like being a nice guy. I am showing you this is how you are to treat others. I, your Lord and Master, am humbling myself before you in order to teach you about being a servant. He says, I tell you the truth in verse 16, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He's saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to be like me. And since I have served you in this menial low way, you need to serve others in this low way. Jesus was teaching that humility is not merely a nice idea. We as Christians go, oh, that's humility. That's nice. I'm so glad that person's humble. Good for you being humble. Jesus is teaching the pursuit of Christ's character should lead us to humility, a humility that is willing to serve however and whenever, which leads to the fifth question on your outline today. Because there's an interesting surprise at the end of this passage of Scripture, and that's that question, that's how will Christ followers be blessed? How will Christ followers be blessed? Because Jesus says that in verse 17. John 13, 17, Jesus says, Now that you know these things, not just know them sort of, but you know them by experience, two different words for know in the Greek. Now that you know them by experience, you will be blessed if you do them. I once had a professor, Dr. Rick Yount. Dr. Yount was brilliant, but he was affable, congenial, and when we said, hey, we're going to go out for barbecue, Dr. Yount says, can I go? We were like, wow, we never had a professor go with us before. But he went and he was the life of the party. But Dr. Yount had this phrase he would use. And the phrase was this, you would do well to fill in the blank. Because, you know, we as students would say, Dr. Yount, what do we have to do about this? And he would say, well, students, you would do well to fill in the blank. He wasn't going to necessarily answer it for us, but he would point us in the right direction. And he wouldn't say, you must do this. He would say, you would do well to do this, as if he was making a suggestion for us. Jesus says here, you would do well, but he's not making a suggestion. He's saying, as followers of his, you will be blessed if you do them as you serve in humility which leads us to our questions for reflection. You've got four of them. And the first one is this. What is it that I can confess? When you hear something like this, and it's a call to humility, and it's a call to serving others, is there something that you in your spirit know that you need to confess? An attitude of pride, arrogance, hubris. Maybe you just don't like somebody. Maybe you say, okay, God, I could serve all these people at church because they're great, except that guy back there. I really don't like him, and I don't want to serve him. Or, God, I will be a servant at work except for that one boss because that boss is really a jerk, and they just get under my skin. We've all got something to confess when it comes to humbling ourselves before God. Maybe it's just pride in general. Maybe it's pride in a specific person or a specific situation or something you have or possess or do. Maybe it's stubbornness. 
Maybe it's unforgiveness and bitterness. What is it you need to confess? The second question is, how can I serve? Well, that may be a certain manner in which you can serve. I can serve by doing this for this person or by doing these kind of things because I'm good at that. Or it might be your heart in serving. I can serve freely. I can serve humbly. I can serve generously. I can serve passionately. I can serve lovingly. That's for you to answer. The third question for your reflection is, who can I serve? I'm guessing if this message is hit home because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you already have in mind somebody that God has put on your mind and your heart that you need to serve. If not, that can be part of your prayer request as a result of this sermon. God, who can I serve? A certain person or persons, anyone as needed? God will let you know. The fourth question, when can I start? God bless you, Pastor. You had to put that one up there. Make us feel like we need to start today. Yeah, why can't you? Maybe it's somebody you won't see until you get to work tomorrow, so start tomorrow. But if it's somebody that you can serve today or it's an attitude in your heart that you can seek to change today because you've repented of that pride, then start today. There's no reason to wait when it comes to seeking humility, when it comes to asking Jesus to make you a servant today, now, serve. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you that even though we don't always like to hear messages of humility, that they're truth, and your word reminds us that just as Jesus humbled himself, so too we must humble ourselves as his followers. And your word reminds us that just as Jesus served others out of his humility, we too must serve others. So God, whatever it is we need to confess, however we need Christ's character to come forth in us, whoever we need to serve, and certainly when we need to start, would we be obedient to you in each and every one of those things right now? And God, as I prayed earlier for anyone here today who's never trusted Christ as their Savior, would they make that decision today too? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.